Please open up your Bibles and join me in our scripture reading today. It's on page 822 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have your own Bible, make sure to open it up because I'm actually going to spend most of our time together in verses that aren't part of the reading. So you got to have it in front of you so that you can see it. Um, but our, our reading is Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 18. So open up your Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, then we encourage you to take the one in front of you home. That's our gift to you. If you have kids at home, take the one that says the children's storybook Bible. It has been phenomenal um, for my family and for my kids. It tells the overarching story of Scripture. And even as a pastor and as parents who have been going to church for a long time, we've learned things about God's redemptive story of love through the Jesus Storybook Bible. And so we would love, that's a gift to you um, that people have given so that you can just take that home. And we would love for you to have that. But for right now, our scripture reading, Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 18, the Apostle Paul. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, we're, we're kicking off our, our new six-week sermon series, The Elephant in the Family Room. Hence, we have this beautiful family room. And I, I just want to thank, actually, this came from Paper Dolls in Lake Geneva. Cindy McCracken and Christy Huguenin um, actually brought it over. I said, it'd be really cool if we could have a living room. And they brought us a living room. Um, I will mention, if you really like it, it's for sale. So I can cook you up. I'm, I'm not joking. It'd be great. I'm sure they'd love to just send it from here to your living room. Um, but we're really grateful for them and, and their contribution. The other thing I want to point out is this picture here and, and this elephant. Everybody say, oh, I didn't tell her I was going to point her out, but Hannah Babiak, she's sitting right over there. She's a professional photographer, and uh, they've been worshiping with us for about a year, and I called her, and I said, I got this idea for this sermon series this fall. Would you, would you consider taking the picture? And so that's her family in the background, and that's her elephant. So can we praise God for his gifts, just the way he brings his gifts together? Now, my wife, Alyssa, she said, Tom, I thought you were going to be the elephant in the room. I didn't know you needed one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so this morning, before we get into our passage today, I just kind of want to give you an overview of this series because I, every week stands on its own, and I think you're going to want to be here for each one of these. And I just want to kind of point them out, and then we'll dive into the overview. So, so the overarching premise of what we're going to spend our time doing the next six weeks is simple. We're all part of a family, right? Like, we're all part of a family. Now, no matter what shape your family is, what size, what season, we were all born into this world through the miracle of life, and almost immediately that miracle began this trajectory that is universal across all of human history, and that is that it was not a straight path. But our lives take twists and turns. And through those twists and turns, it makes each of our families unique. Some of us have big families. Some of us have small families, single families, divorced families, adopted families, foster families, blended families, Packer fan families, Bear fan families. I don't want to talk about that. I don't know why I even said that. Anyway, moving on. There are principles no matter what your family looks like or who you root for, that we learn from Scripture that their ideals, as our small group material is going to call them, by Andy Stanley, and it's, it's really good stuff. I hope you sign up for a group because it's excellent material. 
And, and there are these ideals that families of all shapes and sizes and seasons are called to by God. And yet at the same exact time as this standard is present, there's this tension because most of us realize we're not living up to the standard already, right? We're not living up to the standard. Many of us, there's this tension because we know that. Some of us don't even know what the standard is anymore. We're hearing so many different definitions of the standard. And then others of us read verses like we just read this morning, and we think, if I, if I think I know what that means, I'm not sure I agree with the standard. And it creates tension. And those tension points are called the elephants. And the elephants are what we're going to be talking about each Sunday. Next week, we're going to ask uh, the question. The first elephant is going to be, who wears the pants in this family? And I had a couple leave the church at the end of the last service, and they said, we don't need to go to that. We already know who wears the pants in this family. Okay. <laughs> If that's your attitude, come next week. You need to hear it because we're going to talk about how, how God actually, through Jesus' teaching and through Paul, he actually turned upside down our understanding of power and authority, specifically as it relates to the family unit. And so you're going to want to come for that. And then September 22nd, we're going to talk about family conflict. Last week, we had a great fair service. Those of you who came out to the fair, it was just wonderful. And I, I shared with you then, and I'll say it again, if you're thinking about a specific family member, maybe you're in conflict with somebody right now and you think they need to come to St. John's for this series, whatever you do, that would be great, but don't call them up and say, you know, my pastor's preaching this series called The Elephant in the Family Room and I thought of you. <laughs> if you do that, don't make reservations for breakfast afterwards because it's probably not going to go well. The reality is that week we're going to talk about the fact that we all have conflict in our family. We all have conflict. We all do. You might sweep it under the rug, but we all have conflict. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of how we handle the conflict. So that's what we're going to talk about then. And then September 29th, we're going to talk about the elephant who isn't in the room. That brother, that aunt, that sibling, that child who even, even though they're not there, and I saw so many nods at the first service, their lack of presence is known and it's felt by everybody. We're going to talk about that. October 6th, we're going to talk about perfect parenting. It's a myth. <laughs> We're going to talk about this one time when Jesus was a kid and his parents actually forgot him. <laughs> and it's a true story. So we're going, to, we're going to talk about that. And then the final week, October 13th, we're going to pull all these elephants together. And we're going to talk about God's higher calling for the family and how he actually wants to use all the elephants to make us into the family that he has created us to be. And so that's, that's the series in a nutshell. But today is, is about the facade versus the standard. Now, now my, my two oldest boys, Jake and Evan, they've really been interested in superhero movies the last couple of years. Um, all, all sorts of movies, the Marvel movies, all this stuff. But, but I remember, you know, as they were just getting into it, and I was actually thinking about this series, I, I, I noticed there's this common denominator in the classics, like Superman, Spider-Man, Batman. There's this common denominator in all three of those, that each one of those superheroes has two personalities. Have you ever thought of that? Like, they are who they are when they're wearing the mask, and then they are who they are when they're not. And that fact actually creates a tension in the narrative. You're, you're worried about it because you're worried that somebody's going to find out their true identity. Or they get into some intimate relationship like Clark Kent and Lois Lane, and you see that because she doesn't quite get all of it, there's this gap between their relationship because of the two personalities. Well, in, in 2017, they came out with the Lego Batman movie. How many of you saw that when that was out? 
Okay, some of you haven't. I'm just going to say I watched it with my kids, but if I didn't have kids, I would watch it anyway. So go watch it. It's a little sarcastic, but the, part, the point of it is really good. Now, if you don't know the whole background to Batman, what's his real name? Anybody? Bruce Wayne, I love it, came right from the back. Awesome, thank you, Mason. Um, Bruce Wayne, and, and his story is that when he was a kid, his parents tragically died. And they left him to be taken care of by the family butler. What's the family butler's name? Alfred, right? So Alfred takes care of him, and he's the only guy that, that, that um, Batman allows into his life. And even Alfred, he kind of holds him back at a distance. And so what you see in the Batman story is, is you see this Batman who's a superhero when he puts on the mask, but behind the mask, deep down, he's actually quite sad and broken and lonely. And there's this clip in the Lego movie that actually plays that part out. And so I just want to show you about a minute of it. Let's watch. I should have known better than to sneak up on you like that. Sorry, I've just lost in thought, and as you know, when I'm in there, I'm in deep. Were you looking at the old family pictures again? At the what? The old family... Oh, yes, I see what you mean. Look at that. The old gang. Yeah. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I see. All right, before the comic relief, now, don't lie. How many of you just cried a little bit at a Lego movie? <laughs> right? Like, no, Heather, yeah, no shame, right? Right? I did. I did. And here's why. We can all relate. We can all relate, right? We all have a mask. Even if you're in a family, chances are there are places in that family where you are guarded, where you wish it went back to the way it used to be. Or maybe you wish your family looked more like the family next door. You don't have to be this superhero uh, orphan living on an island to feel that way. Now, the, the rest of the movie, a little spoiler alert, kind of plays out to building up to this point where Batman literally cannot save himself and he cannot save the world until he admits facing his greatest fear, and that is that he needs to be part of a family. And in the end, it's kind of this beautiful mess because he, he meets this girl and she's way more self-aware than he is and, and he takes in this, this orphan boy who, who becomes Robin, if I remember right, and that's ironic. And, and you're left with this image of this messy, outside the box, not a cookie cutter, strangely broken, and yet beautiful family. See, it all started out with that, that picture-perfect portrait, right, of, of two parents, a son, and all the worldly possessions that one could ever want, and then the picture was broken by death. And the truth is, if you think about it, death is really what breaks all of our families. Sometimes it's, it's literal death, right? It's the death of a parent or, or a spouse or a child. I've, 
but I've done so many funerals where, where, where not only does the family truly mourn the loss of their loved one, but you know they were the connecting piece for the family. They were the one that held everybody together. I think about my grandma. She was that way on my mom's side of the family. And I still drive by her old house where, where we used to have, have Christmases and Thanksgivings and Easters. And, and when she passed away, there was a part of our family that died because she wasn't holding everything together the way she used to. And then, then you have the death of what Jesus talked about, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, he said that you could be angry at someone to the point of murdering them. And, and if you're a part of a family, you would not disagree with Jesus, right? Like, like how many times have we experienced this where, where family gets so heated and so angry at one another that they don't see each other anymore, and while that other person might be alive, technically their heart is beating, they may as well be good as dead. And then you have the death that comes from within ourselves. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 7, one of my favorite passages, because it's me, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And I don't do the things I want to do. And how often can we apply that to our families, right? We say things and we do things that we would never dream of saying or doing to anybody else. And it kills. It kills our relationships. Now, the root cause of all of this is actually this, this word. You've heard it before. It's, it's used throughout the scripture. It's called sin, right? It's this three-letter word, sin. And, 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 and sin breaks our relationship with God. And that's often how we think about sin, is, is it breaking our relationship with God? But here's the thing, at the very same time it's doing that, it's breaking our relationships with other people. That's why when Jesus was asked, the, let's look at the whole Old Testament, what's the greatest command? He said, love God, but the second one's just like it, love others. you got to love others. Love God and love others. And, and we break those relationships through this thing called sin. And, and the Apostle Paul talks about sin in his letter to the church in Colossae. Now, the beginning of this year, we spent like six weeks in this letter. We actually talked about this particular passage, but I want to look at it through a little bit different of a lens. I want to look at it through the lens of family. And I want to go back before all those instructions to husbands and wives and children and parents and fathers and all of that. And I want to take a step back and I want to look at the context of what it is that Paul is trying to say. He's writing this letter to a church in, in, in a place called Colossae. And there's these new Christians. They love Jesus. They're good people like you folks. They're just like you. And, and so he's writing them, and he's actually encouraging them. He says, you're faithful, and you love the Lord, and all of this. And, and they do this because they've heard the gospel. And by the faith of God that's been gifted to them, they've taken hold of it. They've taken hold of the gospel. And he describes the gospel. He defines it in Colossians chapter 2. He says, when you were dead in your sins, remember the thing that breaks your relationship with God and others, when you were dead there, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. In other words, he reminded them, and he's reminding us, that Jesus came when life was already broken. And that's contrasting to the point that we're going to make by the end of this passage here, that we think that we need to have it all together before Jesus steps into our lives. The truth is Jesus stepped into their lives when life was already broken. And it was true back then, and it's true now. It's true for you. It's true for your family. Broken by sin to the point where you can't fix it. 
You can't pay for it. You couldn't write a big enough check. So much so that Jesus stepped into it while it was broken and then paid for it by nailing his flesh to the cross. And what Paul is saying here is that that means you are forgiven and redeemed and alive and now you're free to be the family of God that Jesus has called you to be. I need a Baptist amen. Amen, right? Now let's all go home because that's going to fix all of our problems, right? Oh, Theologically speaking, yes, but see, that's just theology, and that's not the part that the people Paul was writing to were getting wrong. They didn't misunderstand that part, and that's probably not the part many of you are getting wrong either. You know that part of the story. You've heard it. I heard it when I went to the Brewers game last week. There was a guy who was standing through a bullhorn. Jesus saves. See, this was not the part that they were getting confused. What they got wrong, and what we often get wrong too, is that they believed that in order to live that life that Jesus came to free us for, that they needed to make everything on the outside look perfect. And I know that doesn't relate to anyone in the room, does it? But just in case it relates to one of you, we're going to continue. That's the facade. See, that's the cover. That's the front. And it doesn't always reflect what's really happening on the inside. And what, what, what's worse, Paul is going to suggest in a minute that, that you actually have to choose. If you can hear us one thing I'm going to say today, it's this. You're going to have to pick. Are you going to put your energy, are you going to feed the facade building the outside, or are you going to give your energy to what's going on on the inside? And you've got to pick one or the other. Paul is going to tell us you can't pick both. But actually, we know this instinctively, and it's, it's found in lots of other places. Brene Brown wrote this book. Um, she wrote it. It's, it's titled The Gifts of Imperfection, kind of accepting the fact that we're broken people. And in it, she said this. She said, perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought. If I look perfect, and if I do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. Let me read that again. Perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought that if I look perfect and I do everything perfectly, then I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame and judgment and blame. Now, Paul puts it a little bit differently. He says in Colossians 2.22, these rules, and these are a lot of religious and cultural rules that they were following, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based purely, merely on human commands and teachings. Here's what Paul is unfolding for us. He says, not only does trying to be perfect on the outside not work, but if you spend all your time trying to perfect yourself on the outside, you will end up being so exhausted that you will make the same choices that brought you shame and judgment and blame in the first place. You know, and, and I think about this as a parent, like, or, or as a husband, or, or as, a, as a son, like any of those examples. When I snap at the people I love, almost always it's because I'm exhausted, Right? It's because I don't have anything left in me, and so my knee-jerk reaction is to do that. But see, trying to keep it all together on the outside is so attractive. 
For so many of us, it's, it's not so much the religious trappings, but we want, we want it to be about making money or keeping the house up or mowing the lawn or making sure the kids are in every sport their friends are in or, or we have a hot meal on the table every single night, perfectly folded laundry, no dishes in the sink, perfect marriages, perfect children. And so when our children are not perfect and we're in a social setting like church, we give them the old mom or dad squeeze on the shoulder, right? And you smile and you say, you're going to be in big trouble when we get home. Every parent in the room knows exactly what <coughs> excuse me, that looks like. By themselves, none of the things I said are bad, right? Good children is a good thing. Good marriages are a good thing. A hot meal on the table, there's nothing wrong with. But Paul, he says this too. He says, he says such regulations, the things they were holding themselves, the standards to, they have an appearance on the outside of wisdom. With their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. In other words, you will work really hard to keep up this facade, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. Now, this is all complicated. Let me just, just break it down and simplify it. These people were so busy trying to do the right things on the outside that by the end of the day, they had nothing left to invite Jesus into the real problems that were broken on the inside. And so here you had these these good Christians, these are good Jesus-loving people that Paul has spent all of this time uh, bringing accolades to, and at the same time, they're still struggling with the very things that are breaking their lives. And he lists them. He says, he says their earthly nature, verse 5, and he calls them, he says, their sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. And again, Paul is writing to good Christians. Good Christians who love Jesus, and yet they're still turning to all of these things, and all of these things are ruining their lives. And I think, I wonder if we're kind of in a similar place, you know, those of us who are gathered here today. I mean, aren't these the same things that are ruining the life in your family? When you think about the brokenness in your family, could you not trace it to one of the things on that list? Like, how many families are, are broken by sexual immorality and rage and anger? How many families have been torn apart by greed and lies? What I found, and I'm, I'm kind of an optimist, I, what I find, and, and it's not true all the time, but for, for, a, for a, a huge per percentage of the time, so many of us who are guilty of all of those things, we actually never set out to do them in the first place. It was, it, was never our, it was never our plan. It was never our purpose. We're just exhausted. We're tired. And what Paul says here is that you can love Jesus all day long and you can even accept his forgiveness, but if you're still spending all of your energy making yourself look good on the outside, you will never experience the ideal, the standard that God is calling you to live by, which has to begin on the inside. And then he lists what those things look like. He says this, and, and again, he comes in with encouraging words. He says, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, do you know that? You are God's chosen ones. Jesus didn't have to come and do what he did. He wanted to because he chooses you. You are holy. You are dearly loved. 
And so as people who are God's chosen ones, clothe yourselves. And I've read this at so many weddings. I've lost track. It's a beautiful passage. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And see, it's, it's literally out of that passage. It's out of the context of that passage that Paul then says, okay, that's what I'm calling you to do. That's what Jesus has freed you to do. And here's what that is going to look like in a family. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Friends, that's the standard. It's God's ideal. But see, Jesus came to save you from where you are right now, not where you're supposed to be. And so the first step is to give up the facade so that you can pick up the clothing as a chosen child of God, holy and dearly loved. Because if you admit that you and your family are not yet perfect, and I'm just going to make an assumption that you came to church this morning and this is your corporate confession, okay? You let me know at the end of the service if I'm wrong. If you say, no, no, I was the exception. My family's perfect because I'll let you preach for the next six weeks. But for the rest of us, and I'll sit down and listen because I I need to hear it. For the rest of us, if this is our confession time, that our families and our lives are less than perfect, then if we can admit that, it frees us to begin a journey toward God's future, God's ideal, God's standard, a vision and a purpose that none of us have arrived at yet, a standard that looks like a wife who submits to the complete passion of her husband. Look back at the passage before it. Not his dominance. It looks like a husband who loves his wife as an equal partner with kindness as the two became one, not one over the other. It looks like children who are humble toward the instruction of their parents. It looks like parents whose guiding is gentle, not harsh. And it all falls under the banner of love and forgiveness because at the end of the day, we're going to spend all of eternity as equal brothers and sisters in Jesus because we have all been forgiven. Friends, that's the standard. And that's what I believe Jesus wants for you and for me and for our families. And that's what we're going to ask God to help grow in us over the next six weeks. And so would you begin with me by praying? Lord Jesus, You entered into this world when it was already broken, and we invite you into our lives as they are broken. We admit before you right now that that we don't have it all together, that there are elephants in each and every one of our family rooms, and and we believe that that you have the power (laughs) through your standard to call us to a place of healing where healing needs to be had and peace, where there is no peace and love, where there is no love and forgiveness, where there is no forgiveness. 
But it begins